Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. It's Jeff McCord here. Uh, we have a special series that's going to be coming up. Uh, starting with this first episode, we're going to be talking about the Enneagram, EIP, and our personal sense of calling. That is living out this sense of giftedness uh, within the sphere of influence that the Lord's given us. And, you know, there's this great quote by uh, Frederick Beekner. I've heard it pronounced. Uh, I used to call it uh, Buckner, but uh, well, I think it's Beekner. But he says this about our callings. He says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. Hmm. I've always loved that. And But when you see the uh, the impact, the idea behind this quote as it's applied to the Enneagram and our EIP, hopefully, as ours have, your heart and mind are going to explode. Why? Because we come to recognize how intricately detailed and connected we are to our Father's purposes by how he has designed us. And so we're grateful uh, that you joined us. Uh, we'll be do- talking about the Enneagram EIP and calling for the next uh, uh, few episodes. So be sure to come back mm-hmm. um, and check it out. So Beth, why don't you talk a little bit about how the Enneagram has uh, had an influence on how you think about your own calling and even starting your Enneagram coach? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so, you know, we started learning about the Enneagram back in 2001. And really up to that point, you know, I was 26 or we were 26. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I mean, by that time, I already had two kiddos. So I was definitely um, focusing on taking care of them. But if anyone had asked me, well, what do you want to do, you know, with the rest of your life, I would have just looked like a deer in headlights. Um, I don't know. What do you want me to do? It would probably have been my thought. And just to make the just quick connection in that one idea that you didn't know what you wanted to do. Yeah. How is that connected to your Enneagram type? Yeah. So, you know, being a type nine, we know ourselves the least. And a lot of the reasons is because we have merged with um, other people's thoughts and desires. So for me, I thought, you know, oh, to be a good Christian wife, I just need to merge with your career and do anything that would align with that, which there was part of me that that was a desire, but I would say a large part of it was because I was asleep to myself as a type nine, just wanting to go along to get along, not at all because you said that I needed to do that. I just thought that's what I should be doing. And um, if you take it further, and we're going to go uh, down the rabbit hole pretty far here, and hopefully people are going to be able to follow along and understand their own story. It it was a part of your story about how your parents trained you with even being a nine and living mm-hmm. out your sense of calling. Like there are stories you tell of. Yeah. I mean, part of it was culturally, you know, I would say, you know, watching my parents who grew up, you know, in those, in the fifties where, you know, men did one thing and women did the other. That's kind of how I saw it. And so I thought, oh yeah, I'll just be a stay at home mom. That's what I'll be. Um, versus really taking seri- serious inventory of who I was, my passions, my desires, talents, that, just kind of went on the wayside because I didn't think that that really mattered, that I had, not only did I have anything to offer, but would the world even want what I had to offer? Yes. Like I just needed to take care of kiddos. Yeah. Well, also on this particular episode, we've got our director of coaching, Adam Breckenridge, is going to be joining us as well. So Adam, we're glad you're with us. Hey, Adam. uh, Really looking forward to some of your comments here. But why don't you just start off by sharing with us uh, from your perspective, I mean, how... 
very high level, how has the Enneagram helped you to understand or how has your particular type shown up and as you lived out your calling? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks, Beth and Jeff, for letting me hang out with you. Um, well, I'm a type six. Jeff, you know, you, you know something about being a type six. We've got lots of sixy jokes that we make uh, with each other. Man, I, so and, this last week we were at the American Association <laughs> of Christian Counselors. And on stage, I quoted Adam Breckenridge in front of 2000 people and said, I'm sixy and I know it. <laughs> yeah. And I really and wanted people to start singing. Like that would have been fun. <laughs> well, of all the things I would love to have attributed to me, all the profound things that, that I've said. Yes. It's the only time the I've one. quoted That's Adam. the one. That's yeah. the one. The only time you've ever quoted me, probably the <laughs> only time you ever will. Um, no. So, you know, I, I think um, sim- similar to Beth, uh, for years, I, I didn't, I, I, here's what I thought my calling was. I didn't, before I knew that I was a type six, and I was able to name that. And before I got in touch with my core motivations, I thought my calling in life was to work hard and just survive. And I thought anxiety and the inner committee and I felt crazy. And I thought all of that was normal. And I remember, um, after burning out, many of you have heard my story after burning out as a pastor and, uh, falling into the care, coming under the care of an Enneagram coach who introduced me to Enneagram, discovering my type, uh, being able to name all the, all the realities that come along with being a type six, I realized something really clicked for me. And I realized that here's how my type has shaped my understanding of my calling. I'm convinced that my calling in life, whatever I do, whether it's pastor you know, I love getting to serve as the director of, of coaching with your Enneagram coach. I have, I have come to understand that my calling in life is to be a safe place for others. Um, and it's the one thing that I felt like I didn't have a lot of times growing up. I mean, I, I can look back through my story and I can see where God provided for me a safe place in certain relationships. But there was a large part of my heart that either perceived or in reality didn't have a safe place. And so that wounded child shows up for me a lot. And and I've realized that uh, through discovering that I'm a type six, that valuing safety and security and stability is not wrong. Everyone values that. And, and kind of, I have a superpower as a six to help provide that for others. And another way to say it is, is just that I love, I love our description that we use of a type six being a faithful guardian. That's actually language that I've used for years. I'm I'm a loyal protector. I'm a faithful guardian. And it's another way that understanding my Enneagram type has shaped the way I understand my my vocational calling, who I am and, and what I'm called to do and be. You know, Adam, you're, you're hinting at something that I, I've found to be true in my own life. I began to recognize later in my pastoral career before stepping into YEC full-time how much I was replaying my family role in my job as an executive pastor. Hmm. But it, now everybody does that to every, everybody does that. Mm-hmm. I did it as a six and mm-hmm. loyalty and faithfulness. Like I worked on behalf of the organization mm-hmm. and it oftentimes I overworked on behalf of the organization. I yes. wanted to hold it all together. Yes. And but I wasn't made to hold it all together. I mean, that's why Jesus is the head of the church. He holds it together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's no right. As my could... wife, as my wife has reminded me many times, Adam, the church has a husband. I need mine. 
<laughs> okay, now Carrie's going to get a quote. I'm going to quote that next time. <laughs> That's a great quote. Oh, man, yeah, if you've been in ministry, you, you probably resonate with that yeah, a lot. Definitely. You, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yes. Well, and, and here's one of the big premises and experiences that led to us doing this particular episode. Uh, back in 2014, uh, I was finishing up some training, a certificate program with the Allender Center uh, for pastoral care and trauma. And to my surprise, the last of the four-day weekends was on calling. That wasn't the surprise. This is the surprise. They had us take strength finders. Mm-hmm. Now, I... I appreciated Strength Finders, but I was a little surprised that they were going to use a tool like that in this particular setting. And so I had taken mine and was like, yeah, that's that's really helpful. That actually describes some of the dynamics that I'm experiencing in my leadership and leading others, how they experience me. And so I show up to the training, and this is what Dr. Allender lays out before us. Uh, he says this, that... The strengths that you've just identified are the same strengths that you have relied on to cope with the tragedy and trauma that you have faced in your life. Mm. But they are also the strengths that God has given you to live out your calling. So as you live out your calling, you will need to do so by faith. Why? Because you will experience both your shame and your God-given glory and giftedness. Mm. And so in many ways, like many of the leaders in the Bible, we will, we will walk with a limp. Mm-hmm. We will lead with a limp. We will lead with a, a reminder of our brokenness and how we've misused these things, but also the glad, deep, joyful um, gladness that comes from living out our sense of calling, which is what uh, Frederick Bigner was talking about earlier, that our deep gladness and the world's deep deep hunger meet. Now, then that just, once again, just like EIP, as we process through our own experiences and we're learning in therapy about us and how it plays itself out in relationship, I share this with Beth and start to realize that Actually, many of the strengths, not a one-to-one comparison, but many of my strengths were related to my connecting types. And so my top strength is restorative, which is a very sick attribute of seeing the problems and wanting to... Another one is harmony. I want want to do this in harmony with others. That's very Mm -hmm. nine-ish. I'm very achiever-oriented. These are all strengths that I'm listing here. That's type three. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that I do this is a, as a learner. Yeah. I, I can just voraciously read books. Well, I've got a five wing, a five part. Now all of a sudden, like, my mind is mm-hmm. starting to just explode. So here's the amazing thing is that I, as I've started to realize now my strengths are part of how I've coped with life apart from the cross, apart from Jesus, but a part of how I live out my sense of calling correlating these strengths to various parts, my connecting types as a type six. Beth, why don't you take a moment and just explain EIP? I know we've been talking about it a lot on the podcast, but now we're applying it to calling. So for those who might be new to it, why don't you introduce the concepts of the Enneagram internal profile? Yeah. So 
EIP, which actually comes from our new book, More Than Your Number, explains your Enneagram internal profile. And there are six basic parts. Um, First is your main type holds two of the parts, your wounded child and your beloved child. The wounded child is the part of your heart that is young and vulnerable and has been activated and uh, traumatized to some degree, whether very small or large. And it's tried its hard and its best to help you survive in the world with techniques that actually don't really help us anymore. Um, Now, your beloved child is the part of your heart that has grown in its identity and knowing who it is in Christ. And it is the part that will help self-lead the rest of us into health and growth. Now, um, the other parts of us, there's four other connecting parts. Those are the two wings, which are either the numbers on either side of your main type and the Enneagram paths, which are those two numbers that are connected through the lines in the Enneagram symbol to your type. So those are the four extra parts and they influence you. You don't become those types with their core motivations, but they do influence how you interact. So Beth, uh, just to follow up, and as I was talking through how my strength finders were correlated with different parts of a type six EIP, uh, can you think of one part for you and how that's shown up for you in your calling, both on behalf of out of woundedness and trying to survive, but also out of kind of giftedness to live out your calling? Yeah. So like, I guess one part that I think of often is my type three part and the type three part when it's not doing really well, really is worried about what other people are thinking and are they seeing me as successful or do they think I'm lazy? Do they think I have much to offer? Am I worthless? So it gets really worked up with that thought process. But when it's following the beloved child and it's in a healthy place, it recognizes that I have a lot to offer. And it helps me to set up goals and systems to get things done, to produce, uh, whether it's writings or courses or speeches, so that I can bless others. And it gives me the confidence to know, not that the confidence is in and of me, but it's in confidence in how God created me and equipped me to then bring this forth into the world. And so that one part of me, or the type three part of me, is both a huge blessing, but also has its weaknesses, depending on if it's following the wounded or the beloved child and how my heart condition is. Adam, as you hear us talking about this, uh, what about you? What comes up for you and what parts can you illustrate with about how it contributes to your sense of call? I was going to say something about my type three part as well. I think when I was younger in my 20s, I, by the way, I love the idea from Allender of the same gifts that God has given us to live out our calling, we over rely on Mm -hmm. to cope with the fallen realities of this life. That is a profound thought. And it's so true. And I think that's how our parts show up. They show up with their gifts and we, we, but we use their gifts in you know, dysfunctional or unhealthy ways. And so I did that a lot with my type three part when I was in my twenties and early thirties, just having something to prove, um, you know, I, I, I was a, a bit of a workaholic um, and uh, very competitive and comparison driven and image conscious. But that same part of me, you know, understanding EIP, connecting with that part of myself, realigning that, leading that part of myself with kindness, I, I've noticed what a gift that that part of me is and the way it helps me cut through the inner committee 
and make decisions and move forward with confidence uh, and work hard without, without, you know, being addicted to work. Like I, I feel like that part of me almost uh, functions like a, like a coach even uh, at times encouraging me uh, to, to, to strive for excellence, but not to overwork out of this performance anxiety. The other thing is uh, just to mention briefly is what a gift I have noticed my type nine part to be, because, um, you know, this is a part of me that uh, can show up and I, I can, I can access this part to cope with life by numbing, disassociating, and all of those are vulnerabilities that I have. But my type nine has helped me so much relationally be the man the husband, the father, the pastor, the coach that God made me to be, because it's this. This is a part of me that has really helped me connect with other people with incredible empathy, uh, and and be able to s- see and feel what they're feeling. And it's also been this kind of gut level leadership that I've noticed in my life, um, and uh, a momentum that this part of me brings, and so. Yeah, that's a couple of observations. Yeah. What about you? Well, oh man. Well, I guess you did name. Yeah, we them, talked but... a little bit about it earlier. So, but I, one of the things that I, I did want to make sure that we cover here is that whenever I've one illustration that I've used for calling, and there's and there's many that I've used as a pastor, but one of them that I use is uh, a domino train. Remember making those yeah. as a kid? You'd you'd line mm-hmm. up the dominoes, and you know they they'd all fall uh-huh. over, and it was super fun. Now there's a few things as it relates to calling. If you think of the the one, the domino in the back is the past. The domino in the middle is the present, and the domino in front is the future. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time thinking about the future as it relates to calling. Right. What does God want me to do with my life? But we spend very little time actually thinking about, and this is why experts who actually coach people in understanding their giftness want you to look back at stories of right. when you found yourself experiencing joy in what you were doing, or you found tremendous effectiveness and fruitfulness from something that you were doing. And so there's the past that there's so much behind it that determines the trajectory for the future. Yeah. Now, here's the most fundamental key to any domino train. <laughs> and it's that you have to do it on a solid surface. Mm. Did you ever, as a little kid, try to put dominoes on carpet? Yeah, like that it does not work. That's very frustrating. It doesn't work and you <laughs> want it to work. Maybe that's the only terrain that you had to put it on. But you need a solid surface. Yeah. Now, that's the gospel. Is that none of this works yes. without, the, yeah. uh, without the gospel. And so what I'd like to do is just go through a few passages. And then I'm going to ask uh, Beth... Um, about your experience of these truths yeah. um, and to see what it means to you. And then I'm going to follow up with Adam. But okay. I'm just going to go through a few verses. And I've got them listed here um, so that I make sure that I don't forget. But mm-hmm. think about what this means about God's commitment to his purposes for your life that's mm-hmm. not so much about the future but something that he has already done in your life. So okay. first of all is this. In Ephesians 1, he says that uh, Paul tells us that God has adopted us as children in love before the creation of time. Number two, in Acts chapter 17, Paul tells us that God has determined the seasons and the places in which we live. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us again that not only is faith a gift, but even God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. Mm. Good works in advance, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So that means that we are his His artistry, his, um, his commitment to create beauty is being seen through our lives. Mm-hmm. Next is in Psalm 139, he has knit us together in our mother's wombs. And then 1 Corinthians 12, he has given us gifts by his spirit for the purposes of edifying others. And even Peter talks about it in 1 Peter, where we are actually instruments, vehicles of distributing God's grace to others. So now think about all of those passages, even before things got started in our life. God is already fundamentally involved with us. But how, how does the gospel land on you as you think about being now your Enneagram coach? Oh, yeah. So just looking at those, a lot of things were popping in my mind. Um, you know, when I think about being your Enneagram coach, really, I think of myself in that younger stage of life because I didn't start your Enneagram coach until I was 40. So just want everyone out there to know that. So you learned about it at 26. Learned about you 26. sat on it. We're going to talk about why Used you sat it on it. Used it personally, sat on it for a very long time. And then you did I, not push it onto me at all. No, didn't even push it onto our kids. Yeah, that's um, right. Utilized it quietly. Um, and then we just started using it in the church, but primarily, I would say, through you. Yeah. Um, you know, again, that was me trying to probably hide or, sure. you know, but um, so just really being quiet and meek. And, you know, the story in my life as a type nine is the constant false message. Don't assert yourself. And the belief that my presence, my voice, my opinions, my way of seeing the world doesn't really matter. I just need to go along with others. And so I I believed I had this incredible tool in my hands, but didn't think that my my voice or what I would contribute to anyone, it wasn't even just, I wasn't even thinking about having any kind of platform or writing books or anything, just anyone. It just really didn't feel like it would probably matter a whole lot. Um, and so when I read this, I think, wow, that's so cool when you were talking about um, that God has the time and the places determined. There's... There would be a part of me that would say, oh, you missed out on your opportunity, Beth. You could have been working on this in your late 20s or 30s. Like, And I'm like, yeah, but God also did want me to focus on raising my kids. I loved that really hard work. <laughs> it was really hard. But spending and investing my time in them, I started your Enneagram coach when our kids were in high school, on their own, kind of doing their thing, busy with life. And I'm thankful that it came in such a season. And now you and I as empty nesters can really pour ourselves out in a way that doesn't have an impact that it could have. And so I just like, that's so sweet of God to have had a study and learn and grow and utilize it in a lot of different ways, but then to start the company at a totally different season that maybe we wouldn't have expected. I think a lot of people are like, okay, you you should get out of high school, graduate from college and know what you're doing. And then like, if you don't, you're not a good person or something, you know? And it's like, God had different plans for me. Sure. And well, it, it's funny. We talked about being an empty nester. Um, 
when we moved into our new home, we lost our last dog. Uh, mm-hmm. Her name was Sky. Sky. She was a gift. But um, here recently, we thought about getting two new Australian shepherds. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that wasn't going to work <laughs> out. And so we decided not to do that. But then our kids got two dogs. Yeah. So now we have grand dogs. Uh, so now we have grand dogs. We had to come up with our grandparent names. But you and I were just talking about this again. Like, hey, we don't need a dog in this season because we travel so much. And now we, we can get... just love on our grand dogs. Yeah, we can just tell them, them bring over your dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's that's good just like in God's timing, you know. So in God's timing, his calling. And then just all the things that you and I had to work on in light of the Enneagram. Had I been teaching it so early on, I just would have missed out on so much understanding from a gospel-centered perspective because there wasn't that. You and I had to work years at fully understanding and and making sure that the gospel was at the forefront of everything. And so, and then just how God knit me together in my mother's womb as a type nine. You know, I have by nature as a type nine can see all nine types and be very empathetic and compassionate and understand them on a level that other types don't naturally have access to. And that is a gift. And for me to be able to use that in how I write um, and teach about the types is really a gift because I think I do hear some teachers, even whether they know it or not, you can kind of hear they have maybe biases or you know, they may not hold up one type in a glorifying way as much as I think they should. Because to me, all nine types are created by God to reflect him in a unique way. And so I feel like, wow, that is a gift that God has given me. Now, I have a lot of blind spots that I have to be very wary of, like, for instance, wanting to not show up and give my gifts away and wanting to hide and thinking that people aren't going to like it. You know, those are my weaknesses as a nine, but that doesn't, um, it doesn't disqualify my calling. It means that, yes, as a little child, I thought the message I was hearing was Beth, don't assert yourself. Only look at what others want you to do. Don't be selfish. Don't be boastful. Don't be arrogant. Those were all message. I think I would hear from the, the Christian community And they were probably said just in some form and context, but as a type nine, I took it to the absolute extreme. Right. And then I would shut down and isolate and hide myself. And that's what I did with the Enneagram for years until I really felt God's calling in giving it away and and blessing others with it. Adam, let's go to you. And how has the gospel played itself out as you've lived out your sense of calling? We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom? From your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. 
But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Well, you made a statement earlier about two things that really resonated with me. It was you made the statement about how the dominoes are all connected. So you actually, you actually, when you, when you tip, you can't get to the middle domino without the, without the first dominoes, right? Yeah. And you can't get to the last domino without the middle or, or the first dominoes. And I don't remember where I heard this, but it's always kind of stuck with me. And I thought it came to my mind as you were, te- as you were talking through that, someone once said your, your destiny is hidden in your history. So it's this idea that your story, your your joys and your pains mm-hmm. uh, from the earlier parts of your life, there's some 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 way, shape, or form God is cultivating gifts mm-hmm. in that that He's going to use uh, so that you can bless the world and do good for humanity and so on and so forth. And um, so, but but what I love when you lay the gospel on top of that is it's not only what it reminds me of when I when I hear you talk about like I've been adopted before creation. Mm-hmm. My times and places are determined and there's good works God has prepared for me in advance. Like when I hear you talk about these things, it brings a whole new meaning to this, this idea that my, my calling or my destiny is hidden in my history. Like this has been, I have so much confidence. I have so much gratitude that uh, my calling is anchored by the gospel and who I am is anchored in the gospel. And you were talking about kind of the, the carpet mm-hmm. being an unstable ground for uh, for mm-hmm. for trying to trying to stand up dominoes isn't that kind of the experience of a six in our anxiety? It's like we just feel <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> unstable and insecure yes. inside, and we long for a sense of security mm-hmm. and stability. Man, could could we just where can I buy stability? I'd love to get me some stability in, in for, for my soul. And when you when you when you when I hear you. Pre- proclaim the gospel to me and walk through that. I feel so much gratitude, uh, and I'm reminded that my calling, my sickness, who I, who Adam is, all of that has a, a firm foundation. It's all anchored in the gospel, and my whole that is my history. I yeah. mean, my childhood is my history as well, and there's certainly, but but I, my history goes back even further. Yeah, um, and it's so secure. And, and so um, I, I feel I feel deeply encouraged uh, each time I remember that all of this is being held for me by by Christ, and He is the anchor of my soul. He is the firm foundation that my house is built on, and uh, and you know, in some sense, I can't mess this up, hmm. you know, because right. uh, His grace is that big and that good. So, yeah, that's. That's a little bit of how the gospel has shaped my sense of calling. You know, Adam, that last statement you made about not being able to mess this up. If anything that the Bible speaks more clearly about and most repetitively is God's people trying to thwart God's purposes, whether on purpose or in their own ignorance and foolishness. And yet God purposes still stand. I mean, it is remarkable uh, to think. But also... 
do not fear for I'm with you. That's right. You know, that's right. Yeah. That's that right. He's always with us. That's right. That's right. Yes. Um, and in this, I mean, this next part, and this is where things really get fun, uh, is that we have relationships with each of these connecting types within us. And there, we have different feelings about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we give some more recognition than others. There are types, connecting types within us that we like. <laughs> and there are other parts of us that we don't like. And this is where understanding woundedness and belovedness mm-hmm. as God's children, where we apply the truth of the gospel when we start to see us living out our sense of gifting and giftedness, whether that be in a kind of fleshly, old self kind of way, or the spirit-filled new self living out of beloved. And so mm-hmm. I want to ask some questions, some experiential questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll say this, I'll start with myself here. So I call my type seven part El Macordo. It is a part of me, it was a nickname given to me by a men's group that I was leading because sometimes I would make these comments, just a little epiphany. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they were way too provocative for a men's Bible study, <laughs> way too provocative. And then at, at other times I bring it all together and they're like, wow, that, that'll, at the time they'd say that'll preach or that'll tweet. Um, and it was that inspirational moment by Jeff. Well, I, El Macordo has been around for a long time. And I can remember particularly right before I started or I became a Christian, um, I was an excellent place kicker uh, on the football team. And so I was getting notoriety. But El Macordo would show up to bring excitement and attention to me. And I was known for doing some incredibly outlandish things before I was a Christian. And then in February of my junior year, um, God draws me to myself, to himself, not to myself. That would be weird. Um, Although he did help me understand who I am. Um, But he he, he showed up in my life in a dramatic way. And although there were some changes that happened through the summer, I'd gone on these mission trips and sports camps and church camps, all kinds of different things. And I became a different person that year. Mm. And when I came back, what was crazy is that all of that El Macordo-like energy, that type seven energy, now became energy that was focused on Christ. So rather than me drawing attention to myself by what ludicrous, provocative things I could do, I was actually preaching in the main hall of the run of where we would stand after lunch. Um, talking about all the things that Jesus had been doing in my life. Mm. Same energy, same mm-hmm. creativity, but rather than coming out of woundedness trying to draw attention, now all of a sudden this is being used in service for others. Mm. We have relationships. We have thoughts and feelings. I have memories of El Macordo and even now experience shame over them. But then there's another part of me that feels so much, so much pride of who God made me to be and what that's actually become mm-hmm. uh, now as a man. Yeah. Um, Adam, why don't we start with you first? I've been starting with Beth. We'll start with you next uh, for this one. Um, what part of you uh, comes to mind? Like what part of you, or just to choose any of the parts, have actually bring a little bit of shame, but now that you're older, mm-hmm. you recognize their gift? 
Well, um, I was going to go type seven as well as I think about this question. <laughs> so funny. <Great. laughs> so um, my seven part also has a name. Uh, I've, I, for years, I've referred to my type seven part as the jester. <laughs> and uh, an inside story here, more recently with your <laughs> your Enneagram coach, that has become the jackal. <laughs> Jackals are like thieves, I evil know. little thieves. <laughs> Um, but it was, it all, it'll, <laughs> it all happened because one day in a meeting, Jeff, you intended to call me the jester, but you accidentally said the jackal yep. and it stuck. So now Jeff and I as type seven parts have a dynamic duo called El Macordo and the jackal. And perhaps one day we'll release our own podcast. <laughs> um, but, uh, which but would so, be no, hilarious. I, I really would, am sorry. I mean, that, that, that sort of breaks my heart, but then again, we do tease each other. So. Makes it since this, since this is a video podcast, I'm tempted to grab the piece of art that's sitting do right it. here. Yes, actually, do it. Okay, oh, man. here it is. <laughs> so we'll have to try to put it in the show notes or something. But because there's so much joking around, that's El Macordo and, and the, the jackal. jackal. <laughs> here, wait, tilt it just a little bit because the sun's. There yeah, we go. Uh, yeah, yeah. So oh. <laughs> that's great. So crazy. Well, so I, I will say, Adam, when I Brian think of Lee. the Jackal, I think of whenever it was a song back in the 90s. I remember hearing it for the first time on the show The West Wing. But do, do you remember? Oh, yes. I remember. That's oh, what yes. I think of as oh, yes. the Jackal, not. <laughs> uh, oh, I know. Well, it was just a, it was just you misspeaking. And yes. that was what was funny is you actually meant to say the Jester and it called me the Jackal. Totally and it stuck. stuck. Totally stuck. <laughs> because so, Gil once again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. So <laughs> when I think it, when I, when I interact with this part of myself growing up, the, the jester was a part of me that really similar to El Macordo, fun, loving, entertaining, a little more gregarious, adventurous, provocative. Um, and, um, many things that I did pre and post conversion, uh, that, um, I felt a lot of shame about, you know, like I, and I, this it, this is comical, but it's also painful, which is which is what good comedy is. Good comedy is always about pain. But I got kicked out of Bible college twice. <laughs> <laughs> We're not trying to laugh at you, Adam. But, it's funny. but at the same time, we are. <laughs> I, it's funny. I, I, it's funny. All right, I, you got to tell us more. Come on. Well, okay, so. so the, <laughs> the first time I got kicked out was uh, because, okay, I came into college on academic probation because all I did was party and play in high school and I didn't, I didn't, and I and played sports and didn't take academics seriously, but I was just this fun loving character. I was literally blended with the, the jester yeah. and like living and seeing the world through his eyes. And um, I had several teachers and mentors pull me aside in high school and say, listen, like you're, smart and you're you're capable and you if you would just apply yourself but i and so that i carried this way of being on into college and in my first year of college i had to keep a certain gpa but all i did was play mm -hmm. camp out on top of the roof uh stay out all night just i was just living i was still living that same out of that same part of myself was calling the shots and driving the bus and i got kicked out of school <laughs> had to write a letter of appeal to try to come back came back to college and two years later had a disciplinary file that was this thick. Um, and the straw that broke the camel's back was, um, 
goodness gracious shout out to williams baptist university uh if, if you know <laughs> they they they, rem, they will remember this but we had a like three or four story um monument to a to a person on uh-huh. our campus with a with a and i didn't even realize it was a monument to a person but it had a weather vane on top of it and we took some we took uh i can't believe i'm telling this story <laughs> we took some we may want to edit this out we took some rock climbing gear like that was hundreds of feet long and we we climbed to the top of this thing and tied you know this rope to it and it may or may not have had you know strung throughout the rope like different pieces of roadkill that we had found i'm not i'm just i'm it may or may not have all right. You've never shared the details of this. This is so no, amazing. But we're, but we're doing it now for our we're, Of course, audience. this is the best time to do it. That's right. <laughs> so, oh, mercy. So, you know, I get called to the dean's office the next day. I was the first person they called without any evidence. They were like, we know you're behind this. And... <laughs> Maybe he should be the jackal. <laughs> and so, yeah, the right. jackal, right. So, you know, I got kicked out. But here's, here's where the pain sets in. Oh, now the pain myself, sits in, not after. Well, <laughs> no, there was, listen, there was so much pain. What do you think the jester was trying to cope with? Oh, I mean, sure. there was a lot, there was a lot of pain, yeah. but where the pain all catches up to me is I, I remember this moment vividly sitting in, uh, I'm now back at home living in my parents' house, mm. 21, 21 years old, sitting in my bedroom, staring at a certificate that I had framed, which was my like ordination to ministry that my church had like ordained me before I went off to seminary or to Bible college. And I'm also just entered into a serious relationship with a person that I'm now married to. And I want to ask her dad if I can marry her. And all I can think about yes. is I've ruined my life. Like yeah. I've ruined my calling. I, there's no way they would accept me back into, into college. Mm-hmm. Like there's no way I'm getting back in. Um, what what have I done? Like yes. where where is my life going? Mm. You know, and it was this breaking heartbreaking moment uh, where the Spirit of God began to minister to me and honestly minister this part of me and comfort all of the exaggerated burdens mm. that this part of me had been carrying and trying to protect me from at the same time. And um, I have had some adult shame with this part. Like yes. that, I feel like the the. I feel like the outlandish kind of party style shifted. This part developed some new strategies later in life of, in fact, I've, I've kind of been working with a new name for this part of myself. I've kind of been trying on the, the name Hut. The Jackalope? <laughs> no, no, but it should be. It should be. No, I've, I've kind of been calling, I've sort of been trying on and playing with the name Hutch. And it's, I think the part, I think the part likes the name. Now I need, now I need a part that I can name Starsky and I will, and I'll be good to go. <laughs> Um, yeah, who teams but, up with you with such creativity? It's probably the five, maybe. Or... Yeah, the five. Well, Adam, but, I, just to join you yeah. just briefly, I, what, I think Beth, I felt her energy wondering if I was going to tell the real story of El Macordo and what he was doing before I came to Christ. Uh, I actually branded myself Trojan Man um, because I would hand out condoms to all the couples in yeah. school. And then all of a sudden, Jeff becomes Christian, mm. and all of that comes to a close. So Jeff's talking a lot about Jesus. Wait a minute, I thought he was just Trojan Man. Who is? Uh, this yeah, guy? wait a minute. I thought, yeah, it's seriously that moment where it's like, 
You know that moment in Acts 9 when Paul gets converted, then he's preaching Jesus, and all of a sudden people are like, wait a minute, aren't you the guy that was wreaking havoc in Jerusalem? Oh, yes. <laughs> it's like yes, when, yes. I, when I— on the other side of this awakening experience, when I started taking my faith more seriously and actually taking life more seriously, people had that reaction like, wait a minute, aren't you the guy that was wreaking havoc on campus? Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's like, yeah. And that part of me now is showing up in, in different ways to to bless me and bless others yeah. and, and, and bless yeah. relationships. So, it's, bringing, it's bringing a different l- layer and level of creativity. Yes. That oh, is, joy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Even even the type seven g- gifts me with this optimism of yep. trusting myself. Of yeah. like, get out there and do it. Right. Like, do it. It's it's such a life giving voice right. uh, to me. Well, yeah. Bethy, what part of you do you have the most trouble blessing? Mm. Probably say my type one. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, the type one part in me, I would say, is the one that's most uh, critical and harsh and judgmental of myself. Rarely is she, as I call her Victoria, rarely, rarely is she that way outwardly to other people, but she can be, but that's just not really her mode of operation. Mainly it's to get me in line, to do what's right, um, and to do it perfect. And because you know, we can't usually do it perfect. She brings a lot of condemnation and intensifies the shame that I, that I have, um, which then as a type nine who that's the lead, right? My type nine's in the lead, wants to just shut down and not assert myself. So she, um, she's trying to help me to better myself in a right versus wrong ethical way in principle and wisdom, but a lot of times her techniques actually shut me down and creates more of a self-sabotage effect. How has she been part of you living out your giftedness being a content leader with YEC? Yeah, she has been really incredible at bringing a lot of wisdom um, into business building. That's how a nine brags on themselves, by the way. Did you catch that? <laughs> like she doesn't really call herself wise, but this <laughs> part of her is wise. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so she brings this wisdom of what is good for the team, what is good for the people that I'm trying to bless, uh, doing it with excellence, um, being creative, but in a way like I love bringing um, like the aesthetics and the design crisp and clean and um, but bright. And so she just brings a lot of, um, I don't know, just simplicity and yet excellence at the same time. And I just really um, am, am thankful for her for helping me to make lists of things that need to get done and making sure I get them done versus maybe wanting to, check out or zone out. So she gives me a lot of um, work ethic. Mm -hmm. Um, She helps me to remember who I'm working for. One, first and foremost, God and what he's calling me to do, but then people and keeps that in the forefront of my mind in a loving and gentle way when she's healthy versus the self-critical condemnation that I can experience from her. You know, this next question I'd love to ask you guys too, what, 
uh, if you've had any of these experiences, but I remember in high school, uh, I mentioned earlier, I was a place kicker, uh, and was doing well as a place kicker and would eventually get some postseason honors my senior year. And, but, uh, my senior year, I had the opportunity to attempt a 60 yard field goal. Now that's where I'm actually kicking from the 50 yard line. So it's a long ways away and it's just unheard of for a high school kicker one for a coach to even trust that a their kicker can make it and give them a chance but number two make it well um i i kicked it and it hit the crossbar and uh, it was no good but what ends up happening is uh the head coach um finds me at halftime and he says jeff if we get another chance i'm going to put you back out there mm. Because he he knew he knew how much I wanted that for the team. He knew how much I wanted that to be the guy who could come through for the team in that way. Mm-hmm. And he saw me as a type six. He saw the work that I was putting into it, and he trusted that I would be able the to loyalty, do it. the commitment, the responsibility. Yep. Mm-hmm. As you guys now, this is an unplanned question here, but I, I wonder for you, for the both of you. When did someone see a part of you that was part of your giftedness when you were growing up? And what did it mean to you? Um, so I, I can I can think back to, in God's grace, I can think back on specific times when God put an older person, sometimes just a couple of years older, sometimes a lot older, an older person in my life who would see me and affirm something true in me. And I can remember the very first time it happened was I was a sophomore on the football team and the, and the senior quarterback saw me walking home from practice and pulled up in his truck and, and invited me to hop in and give, gave me a ride home. And I didn't know that he was a follower of Christ, like a devout follower of Jesus. And um, he, uh, he just said to me, he was like, hey, man, you're a, you're a leader. And one of the one of the main reasons why you're a leader is because you don't know you are. And um, he said, "There's something. There's some kind of light and humility in you that you don't you don't you're not aware of yet." And it was a really profound thing uh, that I struggled to accept. I, I definitely struggled to accept that it was true at the time. I didn't even understand what he meant. But I would say that throughout different points in my life, there was always like a teacher or a coach or a mentor or someone who would say. Um, that there's a, there's a, um, this, by the way, this is hard to talk. You know, you have to walk through some shame to talk about this because mm-hmm. it's, right. it's like you're blessing yourself. Well, I was, I was going to mention it. Like you can tell just by your tone of voice, mm-hmm. like you're on solemn ground right now. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's hard. Um, but the phrase other people have used. Okay. So it's not a phrase I would, I, I, it's a phrase I'm learning to accept at this stage in my life that, that, um, that there's a courage and there's a light in me. Um, and it's definitely the image of God. It's definitely God's fingerprint, but it's also me. It's like, it's, it's both. It's, it's who God made me and it's me. And I think it's like my type six, uh, like beloved child, this, the courage of that truest part of me and, and there's a light that the seven brings. And I mean, all the other, all the parts work together. My three gives me a ton of courage. My nine is so courageous and such a, such, I think the humility as a leader comes from a, a gift that my top nine brings. Um, 
but uh, but it's only been really in the last couple of years that I've even thought about accepting that that that's true. Um, but but Jeff, thanks for the question because mm-hmm. now you're you've, you're you're going to have me in a contemplative <laughs> state for the rest of the night, uh, and you're going to have me in this deep like these deep prayer moments for the rest of the night as I wrestle with this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, Bethy, do you have a memory that came up? Yeah. So when I got my advanced certification in Enneagram coaching, Oh, that's right. (laughs) um, We were just, there's about 30 of us and we were in a big circle and um, my teacher was asking, or we were talking about something and I just kept asking throughout uh, the 10 days, different questions that she thought, were really profound and insightful and I guess set me apart from others. Um, so as we were talking and I had just asked another question, she, she turned to me and she looked at me and she said, when are you going to write your first Enneagram book? And as a type nine to be called out like that, it was a decision as, of faith, even to as show a up student for yes. with her, it was like, Oh my gosh, how do I get out of this? You know, like I, I I don't even know why I'm being asked this. This is, but at the same time, I respected her enough to understand the Enneagram and our types that she knew exactly what she was doing and she wasn't saying that to anyone else. So I just kind of like just threw out a number and I was like, uh, I think like five years, you know, and um, she looked. I love that tone of voice, by the way. <laughs> I'll take her for you. It's like, uh, I'm just trying to get out of this conversation. Um, no, but then she just looked dead at me and she said, okay, so when do you really think it's coming out? And I was like, oh man, she's not letting up. And so I just, I sat there and I processed and I said, I think in three years. And three years, that's when our first book, actually, to be honest, it was our first 10 books because both the Becoming Us and the journal sets came out in the same year. Now, what do you think she was seeing in you? Um, I really think she saw that I had good, I had studied the Enneagram for so many years that I had really good clarity and insight personally, but also in the Enneagram itself. But I think she also knew I downplayed it within myself and she wanted to call it out in front of everyone and make me face it and own it. Um, And it really was, I would say, one of the most pivotal, I didn't say that right, but that's okay, uh, points in my life. It it was a a wake-up call. And then shortly after that, like a day or two later, we were talking about, you know, how do we come across to people? Like, how do they how do they see us? And a lot of them said, I see you as, um, you know, a beacon or like a lighthouse on a rock that you're constantly showing light to everyone. And you're the strong fortress that stays steady. And I was like, wow, I don't really know what to do with all of this, but it was so encouraging, especially because I was wanting to get out there and give myself away through a gospel-centered approach to the Enneagram. And <clears throat> that wasn't their worldview, but they supported me 100%. And it was just so cool to to see God working in and through other people that may not hold the same viewpoints, but also see what God was doing in me. Well, 
to wrap this all up and because this ends on some very significant moments of recognizing how much our Heavenly Father put into designing each of us uniquely. And in, as His loving, caring, steadfast love has stayed with every moment of our story, He is not surprised by anything. He is not disappointed, but is committed to our lives and to glorifying Himself. And we can take great assurance that even though we may interpret these situations of our past and see how these strengths we've used for our own personal gain to live apart from Jesus, actually, but the grace of God, I mean, I love this line by Jerry Bridges. He says that we're never so good that we're beyond the need of God's grace, and we're never so bad that we're beyond its reach. Mm -hmm. So no matter where we're at in life, that the grace of God still applies. And through using the lens of the Enneagram, just the tool of the Enneagram, we can start to identify themes in our life where God intended for us to acknowledge and worship him for the goodness that he has given us and the goodness he intends to use through us in how we relate to others, how we lead and live out our sense of calling. Now, we've been experiencing this uh, in our own personal lives and even continue to do it this day. We'll we'll talk in our next episode about our recent experience at the American Association of Christian Counselors Conference and some things that led up to it. But just to realize, like for those of you who are considering becoming an Enneagram coach or using the Enneagram in a way within your personal sphere of influence— But you've got the stories, you know the parts, you know the negative beliefs about yourself, and you always wonder, I I don't even know if it's possible. I don't know if I have enough resources for it. But what does it look like then to apply the truth of the gospel for you to live out your sense of calling, to use these gifts that you've had that maybe you used in negative ways? but actually to use those for the purposes of glorifying God and finding joy in relationship to others. So our invitation is to everybody that God loves you. And I know that it'll, it'll be your hardest thing to believe, but um, you know it, it will be your greatest gift is to truly believe that he really does love you and is not going to give up on you. We hope that you've benefited from today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Enneagram Internal Profile, be sure to go pick up our book, More Than Your Number. You can buy it wherever books are sold. And Bethy, why don't you close us out? Yeah, and so for those of you that would love to know more about becoming an Enneagram coach, we would love to share it with you because it is literally the best job ever. Watching people transform right before your eyes and seeing God do His work is truly amazing. So we would love for you to explore what it's like to have this kind of call in your life. So simply go to EnneagramWebinar.com to find one of our webinars that fits you best. Um, and sign up for that. And we will share so much wonderful information that you will feel encouraged by. Plus, you can ask questions and we'll answer them there. Um, And we just can't wait for you to be a part of our community. So don't forget, everyone, uh, particularly as it relates to living out your calling, that Enneagram reveals our need for Jesus, not our need to work harder. It's the gospel that transforms us.